Let's go to the Lord. God, we do pray that as we turn to your word, that you will open our eyes, the eyes of our heart to the truth of your holy word. God, I pray that the truth will resonate deep within us, that you will awaken the dead today, that you will bring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, that you will help each of us, God, those of us who already know you also, to come into closer standing in your glory. We want to bask in your presence. God, I pray by your grace that you will have mercy on us today. God, may this truth be good to us. Nourish us through the feeding of your word. God, I pray that as you do it for us, that you'll do it for the other gospel-centered churches here in King George County. I pray that as brothers bring forth your word today, that their words will not fall on deaf ears. But you, God, will do the supernatural. You will do what none of us can. And that is do the miraculous saving of your work. God, I pray that your people will be strengthened in unity around your word today. That we will leave everything else of this world. It is all passing anyways and we will come into the eternal presence of God. Lord, I pray that you will save the lost. I pray that you will use this fellowship and other fellowships who are tethered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Use us as your instruments in this area. God, may the darkness be beaten back, not by our hard work, but by your gracious work. God, I pray that you will be with our sister churches, Covenant Community Church this morning. We pray for Pastor Tom and we thank you for the successful surgery that he has had and the recovery that he has now. We pray that it will be a good and quick healing. God, I thank you for surrounding that fellowship together and them able to worship. They don't have to worship where they normally do. They can gather wherever you call them. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given them this morning to worship with Pastor Tom at home. God, we pray for Stafford Baptist Church and North Stafford Baptist Church, Foundation Church. God, may the doctrines of truth be heard clearly and our brothers and sisters be encouraged in their faith. Lord, we pray for Grace Church Buchanan. Lord, they don't have to be of the same denomination for us to pray and be united with truth. The doctrines of grace are for all who believe, all who You have called. God, I pray that the truth of Scripture will resonate deeply among that fellowship. We thank you for Pastor Allen. We thank you for his wife calling them to Buchanan. We pray that you will use them and encourage that young church to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the Southern Baptist Convention that we're a part of and the International Mission Board and that, that faithful ministry of going to the lost, of not expecting those to come to us, but calling us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that you have taught to observe, to humbly submit to your word and come to learn what worship is. 
God, I thank You for brothers and sisters who have gone out, who have forsaken all that's familiar, even left family, so that they can be used by You in that way. God, thank You for the opportunity to support them. I pray that You will sustain them. We thank You for the finances You've given us that we can send to them. Lord, I pray that more churches will give gladly in support of missions. Lord, I pray that You'll send brothers and sisters, hopefully from this fellowship, to the lost people of the world. And Lord, we pray for the Bania of India. 29 million people lost in the false religion of Hinduism thinking that there are over 300 million gods to worship. Lord, what a dizzying affair that is. Lord, bring rest to them, eternal rest to them. Open their eyes to Jesus and may they worship the one true living God forever. Lord, I pray that you will use brothers and sisters to go to the Bania. And churches will be established and you'll raise up brothers boldly to proclaim the good news of Jesus and more will come. Lord, that's our prayer. More will come to the saving knowledge. Use this day. Use your word. It's in your name I humbly pray. Amen. The second half of Nehemiah 12 about the children of Israel celebrating God's supreme glory and goodness reveals a great need of ours. And it also reveals a great truth of what happens when a people receive the grace of God. And the great truth of God's grace that it reveals gives us precious hope and fulfillment in our great need. Don't miss this truth because you already know about God and the work of Jesus dying on the cross for sins by assuming that what happens here is routine. That is something that we do on a weekly basis or it's simply just part of the Christian life. That you are somehow fulfilling an expectation that keeps you in good standing with God. There is truly something going on this morning that is miraculous. As we gather together this morning, we say what we're doing here is called a worship service. There is reason why we call that. These words mean something significant. It is a service. It's an act of serving. But who is serving? Contrary to what's so commonplace today, we do not come here to serve ourselves. We don't come to better our daily lives or to feel good about ourselves or to be entertained or to see friends or to be considered religious. And while we do look out for one another and we do want to encourage each other, that is not the purpose of why we gather either. I can stop by and visit you on any day of the week. You are welcome at any time to our home. So what we do here is not about us either. 
So why then is this a service? We don't come together to get something. We come to give something. We come to pray, to give praise, to exalt in honor, to look upon and to wait, to give God the rightful place in our lives. Last week I said that each Sunday, we call it the Lord's Day, God calls us to Himself in a local assembly to sing, to pray, to hear, and to speak His Word. We gather to listen to His Word read and proclaimed. We respond to the self-revelation of God in His glory and grace and goodness. We are here to serve Him who is the Most High. We gather, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, as His people who have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now don't miss this. We serve Him by giving Him ourselves in response. In response to Him calling us and imparting new life to us. We love Him because He first loved us. So in essence, we gather this morning and each Lord's Day to serve God because He has first served us. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? The Almighty God who does not need any one of us, He's not served by human hands, has given to us. He continues to give to us. Our service to God is in response to Him giving Himself to you and to me. God who overflows in love gives Himself to His people. We come in our emptiness and in our brokenness and in our helplessness to offer these up to Him. We are empty vessels longing to be filled with His fullness and His love. And the triune God with infinite joy and grace through His Word and by His Spirit gives to us for our encouragement and joy. This is the serving that takes place on each Lord's Day. Every Sunday, our service this morning is a seeking more of God because of what He's done. We also call it worship. This word comes from the old English word worthiness or worship of something. We're coming to extol, to admire and magnify the worth of God Himself. His worth is like no other. To look upon His glory as it's revealed in the face of of our Lord Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture. By faith we gaze upon the Son who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We remember and hold up high the name that is above every name. His is the only name that is worthy of praise. 
He is the image of the invisible God, ranked first among all creation. We are created by Him and through Him and for Him. It is through Him that we're reconciled to God because He made peace for God's people by the blood of the cross. We who are alienated are now being brought by faith to the Father as sons and daughters through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this should eradicate the tendency that is in each one of us. You woke up, whether you realize it or not, with a tendency that this truth ought to eradicate. That's thinking of worship in terms of what's good for me. What's helpful in my life or what makes me happy. It's disastrous to come with that kind of thinking. We'll all walk away with more thinking of ourselves rather than dying to ourselves and thinking about Him. Our chief importance here this morning is how do we honor God? This is our created purpose and we can't do this on our own. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the way for us to glorify God. In worship, God says what is edifying and what's helpful to us. And He's told us in His Scripture. And so this takes us back to God's Word each Lord's Day, every Sunday, opening God's Word and praying it and singing it and basking it and taking it in and letting it just digest throughout us coming to Him and what He's provided, we do in fact find much blessing and help. He sanctifies us. So there's a God-centeredness in our worship. So our worship service can thus be defined as this. God gives His grace and we praise Him from deep within our bones in the core of our soul for what He's done And God meets us in His grace as we seek more of Him in His magnificent glory. Let me read that again. God gives His grace. It begins with God. He gives His grace and we praise Him from deep within our bones. We don't just go through the motions. It's down deep in our hearts, the core of our soul for what He's done. And God meets us in His grace as we seek more of Him in His magnificent glory. Do you see the God-centeredness of our worship? There is not a single thing that we do here that's on our own. It's all, we sang it before, by grace alone. And our worship is centered on this God of good grace. And this is not a solemn occasion. Even with everything that goes on, even if you've had a horrible week, like we read in the psalm, there is reason to come in our brokenness and helplessness, in our disastrous days, with singing on our lips to praise God. There is much rejoicing. Being solemn does have its place. I don't want to to knock that. It has its place. We need to be somber 
And we need to grieve when we consider our own sin and the need we have for God's mercy. But when you treasure the grace of God, when you hold Him in high esteem, it is a joyful celebration. Reverence for God grows. And He drives our thoughts. He quickens our steps in obedience. And He fills our heart with outpouring of love for Him that you just want to shout out and to sing. And in this you cherish His Word and you hunger for more. In Nehemiah 12, there's another gathering for corporate worship at the dedication of the completed walls. And it's all about God. The people are taken up with the thought of God, the power of God, the grace of God, and the work of God. And as they witness God acting in and among them, they are brought to such adoration of Him. This dedication was a worship service that was full of thanksgiving to God for His great mercy to them. It was as if they are saying, this This is God's wall. Because it was. God had heard them crying out for deliverance. Because this great work, the people who were miserable in in this shameful condition, the city was hardly recognizable. But God, like every other time in biblical history, He heard His people. He hears the cries of His people. He listened and He raised Nehemiah as His instrument of grace to preserve the people and renew them as His own sanctified possession to worship and adore Him. Now the walls were finished way back in chapter 6, if you remember. But that was only the beginning. I told you when we began the book that this is more than a building project that's going on. The walls were finished in chapter 6, but reforms in the community were needed to bring back the glory of God within the people so they could live in humble obedience to His Word. The reading and explanation of God's Word comes back to God's people. It leads them to repent of their sins and it causes them to remember the covenant that they have with Him, this covenant history. And so they renew the covenant with God to ensure that the changes that are taking place remain in their hearts and heads and practice in their community. Nehemiah and the leaders ensure the city is repopulated. They call out to the surrounding areas and the people come to live and to work and to just have community within the city once again. The city is preserved and life is renewed. So now is the time for celebration. And they celebrate what God has done. The walls are His. The city is His. And the people are His. The celebration is to worship the One who is the reason why all this has occurred in the first place. And they give Him credit for what He's done. The purpose of the gathering is given to us in verse 27. It was to celebrate the dedication of the walls with thanksgiving and gladness 
with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. The massive worship service was with a deep gladness from the heart because in verse 43, we're told God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the sound of their praising could be heard far away. This is what God's grace does to a people. From the word of God stands worship of the true God who gave it, who fills the soul with endless, abounding joy. This occasion should cause us to seriously consider how we worship. Does our worship service match the magnitude of God's glory and the treasuring of His grace? Is our hearts filled with such joy in His grace that we have an outpouring of praise to the true God? In this worship service in Nehemiah 12, there are three truths to take to heart. The people prepared for worship. There's procession of worship. And they prioritized the worship. First, there is preparation. The people of God who have received His grace have been truly awakened are not just winging this worship. They're not just making it up. They didn't respond in whatever they felt like. They didn't go by their mood. Nor did they do what they thought would give honor to God. They first prepare by seeking out the Levites and singers. The Levites in verse 27, the sons of the singers in 28, and the singers in 29. And this is not some karaoke that's going on either. There are two choirs, one going southward on top of the wall with half the leadership of the city, and the other choir going northwards, one with Ezra and the other with Nehemiah. Now, there are those, both back then and today, who think that genuine worship has to be spontaneous. But there is some serious planning and thoughtfulness going on here. They went out to the villages and surrounding areas around Jerusalem, finding the people to fit in their roles. The Levites were brought in. The Levites are the keepers of the law. Back in chapter 11... They had been sent out throughout the land, taking the word of the Lord with them. Now, for this worship, they're being sought to ensure that they have a proper role in this worship. And the choirs had singers with musical instruments being played. Music filled the air. The coordination. Think of the coordination and the balance and the control of the music. It was harmonious. Not just a bunch of noise. Someone had to decide what they all would sing. They also prepared for this worship by purifying themselves. In verse 30 it says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now we're not told what this entailed. From the books of the law, we know it had something to do with water, some kind of ceremonial washing and probably some fasting. They even purify the walls and the gates. Now we know that 
No one literally purifies themselves. Every person is corrupt. You are corrupt. You can't purify yourself. There is nothing in us that can make us clean. There's nothing we can do to wash ourselves of how corrupt and sinful we are. So what's this idea of them purifying themselves? Well, it was ceremonial. It was a ceremony. It was signifying an act. And that act intended to teach of God's holiness and His moral purity. No one can come into the presence of God. No one can serve Him. No one can worship Him unless they are first purified from all their impurities. There had to be a washing. Sin is so vile and revolting to God that something has to be done for you to be able to come into His presence. This worship service is a dedicating to God, the city and the people. The city and the people are being set aside as holy unto God. They have to be clean from all that impurity. They have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Now under the new covenant of Christ, ours is not a ceremonial washing. It is a purifying from within that actually is making us clean from inside. It's purifying us from all our sin. Christ has taken all the guilt, all the stain, all the filth of our sin upon Himself and given us His holiness. We have been imparted with the Spirit of God who ushers us into the presence of the Almighty Holy God. Our preparation for worship is not in works. It's in Christ alone. We say, I am wicked to the core. Every fiber of my being is sinful. God, purify me by your grace because of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit washes and regenerates us into a new state of holiness. This has to happen for there to be any worship. So there was preparation for worship. Next, there was procession of worship. There was order to it. Nehemiah had given this direction to divide the people into two groups. Into two choirs. One led by Ezra and he led the other. Ezra group starts at the dung gate and went up to the east side and ended up at the water gate. Nehemiah's group went in the opposite direction and ended up at the gate of the guard. In other words, one guard, one choir went around to the right and the other went around to the left, both walking on top of the walls that had just been built both praising God and singing, and then they both end up at the temple singing together in God's house. You can imagine being in the city that day, watching the Levites and the singers and the leaders walking on top of the wall, on this new wall on both sides, 
instruments being played and singing songs. And we don't know what they sang. Many of the psalms fit the occasion, like Psalm 48, beginning in verse 12. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers. Consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Singing that all around the city. Imagine that. They were walking and singing where just a short time ago it was impassable. Remember when Nehemiah first inspected the city when he came back. When he went at night before the construction, he couldn't even get through the fountain gate. Now look in verse 37. Ezra's whole choir went through it. And remember the opposition? Do you remember what they said when they were building the wall? They said the walls couldn't hold a fox. If the fox had jumped up on it, the walls would crash down. Now these massive choirs are all walking around the city on top of that wall. And they're headed toward the house of the Lord to worship. Can't hear the opposition today, can we? Not on that day. The singing is too loud. The misery and shame that was of the people, that's gone too. God has reclaimed the city and the people and everyone is celebrating with joy. They're seeing, they're singing, see what the Lord has done. See what our great and awesome God has done. He is faithful to His Word. Everything that was wrong has been made right. What a snippet of heaven we're given. This is what heaven will be like. This is what's waiting for us one day procession of worshipers around the throne of God singing His praises. All the opposition being silenced. God will have completed His work and His people will be filled with only joy headed to His throne. You and I are given this picture every Sunday when we gather to worship. Everything that was broken made new. What was shamed made whole and purified. What a procession we have today. And it's led by our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait till that day in heaven to worship like that. We praise Him now because we can see Him working on our behalf now to make it happen. His grace has purified us already and is cleansing us now for eternal worship. Praise God. This is not something that's dependent upon what you're facing now. Regardless of your situation or regardless of your physical condition, regardless of the trials that come, this joy says we can praise Him because we have Christ. And He's redeeming us and preserving us and making us new to be His people forever and ever. So in this worship service, the people were prepared for worship. There is order of worship, and they prioritized the worship. At various points in the text, we see praise to God. In verse 27, we read of thanksgiving, singing, and gladness. In verse 43, that they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. And that rejoicing was with great joy. There was so much adoration for God. 
So much adoration for God that the people, they had given so much, they had to do something with all that the people had brought. They have filled up the temple area with so many gifts that Nehemiah and the leaders have to appoint directors to manage the contributions and the storehouses. It says in verse 44, On that day they gathered the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes and the portions required by law for the priests and Levites from the fields of the towns for Judah, or because Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites. The people's joy had overflowed into giving. Their worship cannot be contained. Their joy, their praise is not held to a single event. They brought in their tithes and their offerings. They've begun to give beyond what they're required to do. In verse 47, says all of Israel gave the daily portions. Ministry of the temple was a priority to them. Is the ministry of the church your priority? It is said that you know where a person's heart is by looking at their bank account. Look at what they spend their money on and you'll see what's important to them. This was not a prosperous time for Israel. They were still rebuilding. And the people still gladly rejoiced with their singing and their tithes and their giving. People were moving into Jerusalem, you'll remember. Fields had to be tended to. Their families had needs. Yet the people say the worship of God and the work of God is their main priority. And it showed in their giving. Giving comes from thankful hearts that are full of gladness and who God is and what He's done and a wanting to see Him more. Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are so prosperous in this country. We can build up storehouses for ourselves and enjoy the reward of earthly treasures and get lost in them. Or by God's grace, see that the things of earth are only temporary and build up treasures in heaven. You see, it's one thing to get caught up in the moment. It's one thing to get caught up on that day with the great singing and the music and the joy that's shared. It's contagious. But to give financially to the ministry of the church declares that you treasure the work of God. Your priority is seeing the ministry of God flourish. The children of Israel have a right view of life now because of God. They have seen the glory of God. And God tells us that in life we are sojourners. We are nothing but pilgrims in this life passing through. This life is not all there is. 
We live in a consumer-driven society. When the church gathers for the worship service, God changes what is so preponderant out there in society. God changes the me mentality that is so prevalent in all of us. And He helps us to die to ourselves and become more Godward in our thinking and our believing. His glory becoming more awesome and His grace more precious to us. We are going through this life under the sovereign eye of God toward His throne and into everlasting hope. Remembering this gives us the right view of life. Remembering God, reminding ourselves of God. Remembering why we're here in our created purpose to worship God. And by faith, He's given us that. Remembering that gives us a right view of life. It changes how we then approach everything in life. Our gifts and our possessions become part of our worship to God. We become living sacrifices to God. We are stewards given the joy of declaring God's glory on this earth and ministering so that others come to know and to worship Him too. If we have truly received grace, if you and I have truly received God's grace and encounter the working of God, then everything in us from our hearts to our possessions become acts of worship. It's a priority to us. Not begrudgingly. Not just checking the box and saying, yeah, I'm good now. But truly, deep within, becomes an act of service. Giving in all things service and worship with joy from our heart. Are you prepared for worship? Does our service have order to it and purpose? Does each of us see worship as the priority and the purpose of our lives? When God comes to His people and they receive grace, this is the result. The work of the Lord becomes our joy, our songs, singing His praises. He is the priority and the focus of our lives. And we declare to the world that He is the one that through whom and to whom are all things. We give our thanks and praise to Him who sacrificed for us and who gives us an eternal home full of love and joy. Let's pray.